This is Identity at the Center. If it has anything to do with IAM, this is the go-to podcast. Now your hosts, Jim McDonald and Jeff Stedman. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Oh, not so bad yourself. I'm doing great. And we're here recording a sponsor spotlight episode. I'm ready to get my learn on. <laughs> yeah, we've got another sponsor spotlight. This is great. People are really enjoying these. These are, these are That's pretty cool when people embrace it like that. These are special off-cycle episodes that we put together and we create these in collaboration with our sponsors. That's what helps us get into like more deeply into like questions around products, viewpoints, services, things like that. Um, you know, more of a more of a more of a deeper dive into those products than we normally do. I would say, Jim, is that accurate? I think, yeah, I think we've been very adamant about keeping advertising and marketing out of the podcast for years, and it does create a limitation in terms of some of the questions that maybe we would otherwise ask. So. I think the sponsor spotlight is kind of taking some of those constraints off and lets us, you know, learn. And I think what's really cool about this episode is it's, you know, it's not maybe our typical episode where it's like, you know, core everyday technologies that people might understand. It's going to open people's eyes to maybe another area. And that's what I think is great. I mean, I'm, I love bringing that kind of perspective to the podcast. Yeah, for sure. I think this is an area that I'm excited. This is something I have a little bit of experience in the past with when it comes to like physical security and sort of the blending of logical and physical access, things like that. But it's always better when you have smarter people than me talking about that. So why don't we go ahead and get to our sponsor? RF Ideas is today's sponsor. And just to make it very clear, right, this is a special, you know, one-off. It's a fully sponsored episode. That's what gives us access to great experts that we're going to have here on the show today. So let's go ahead and get started. If you're not familiar with RF Ideas, I would encourage you to go out and look them up. But they're on a mission, basically, to bring and bridge physical and logical security together. And they have some pretty innovative credential readers. And it really provides a pretty, what can be a, a seamless authentication experience. It's like, okay, you sound like a marketing person. It looks pretty cool. We're going to learn more about it. And I want to welcome to the show, Raul Cepeda. He's the Vice President of Product Management and Marketing. Welcome to the show, Raul. Thank you. And we've also got Sarah King. She's a pre-sale engineer with RF Ideas. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jim. So one of the things we like to do before we get started is learn more about the backgrounds of people in this identity space. And I guess I'm going to ask you a question around this is, Raul, we'll start with you. Can you kind of start off with, you know, what is your background in the identity space? Obviously, you're in kind of the, I guess I, I, I equate, you know, physical security with sort of badges and readers and things like that. And I know we'll talk about it in a little bit, but how do you, how did you get into the space of identity? Yeah, so I, I've been part of the tech world for the better part of the last 13, 14 years, mostly in automation in general, but specifically on the security side. Uh, the first 12 plus years of my professional experience, I've been working as a systems integrator. So we worked. I worked for a systems integrator. We went out, did implementations uh, with end user customers. And about two, a little bit pl- two plus years ago, I joined RF Ideas to lead their their product and marketing. And now we're out 
Connect on a mission to uh, develop innovative products out there for, for end users and uh, partners alike. So do you consider yourself an identity person, a physical security person, an information security person, or some some weird hydra of all three? I, I think I'm a little bit of a hydra. I mean, I think if I look at the background that I spent the first 12 years, we implemented everything from barcoding solutions to physical security to identity solutions. Obviously, the last couple of years have been specifically tied to identity. So uh, learning much more about this space in the last couple of years. And so I guess now I consider myself mostly on the identity side. Well, welcome. The water's just fine. It's very pleasant. People are very accommodating. <laughs> Sarah, from your journey, tell us a little bit about how you got into the identity space as we're, as we're welcoming you into this. Yeah. So uh, my background for about the last 15 years has been anything technology. I enjoy learning about new technology, how to help customers and, and better their processes using technology. Started with RF Ideas almost a decade ago. Started just in a support role, tech support role. Ended up managing that tech support department, customer service, and now I'm on the sales side. Yeah, I looked at your LinkedIn profile, Sarah, and I saw that you were there for over eight years. And I was like, wow, must be a pretty cool company to work for. It's a it's a really great company to work for and a fun company to work for in my my everyday changes. That's awesome to hear. Raul, tell us about this awesome company that Sarah just mentioned. Uh, what do you guys do? What do you do over at RF Ideas? Yeah, so we've been around for about 30 years manufacturing credential readers. And so what we're doing out there is, you know, what makes us a little bit unique from other, you know, card credential providers out there is that we're pretty agnostic when it comes to the credentials that we support, you know, so everything from proximity to contactless to mobile credentials, we're working with a lot of the global leading credential providers out in the marketplace. So that stands out out there. Uh, most smart card reader manufacturers are typically focused on one or two credentials. We support, you know, over a hundred different credentials out there in the space. So we've been doing it for, for 30 years, you know, we're trusted across a lot of different verticals out there. And so we're the go-to for things in particular like healthcare. It's 30 years. I'm, you know, it's, it, you guys have been on this passwordless journey for 30 years, right? It's always been about possession-based authentication. Talk to us in that 30 years, talk to us a little bit about the journey and some of the milestones that you can tie back to that 30 years. Yeah, I think, you know, if, if we look at kind of where we were, where we started, where we really got our start, it's, it's really in healthcare. You know, we, we partnered with a company called Improvada who does a single sign-on and we found an opportunity to help clinicians and staff improve their day-to-day -day productivity. The most common use case that you'll see out there is staff and clinician are going from patient room to patient room, typing in a username and password, you know, every time they go to a new room. And so we identified an opportunity to kind of help cut the time and, and put more of the focus on the patient by allowing clinicians to take their ID badge and tap it on one of our credentials, uh, which enable them to single sign on, you know, onto their uh, workstation or, or PC. So, you know, it, what we found is that it, it started to cut a lot of the time, you know, for, for those, those patients so that they could be more focused on by the clinicians. Yeah. I mean, cutting the time is important, but it darn well better work, right? I mean, you have a patient who's maybe in like a critical position, right? You go up there, you do the the prox card. That person needs to get into the system and they've got to be 
the right person. So absolutely, you know, mission critical stuff, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think secure authentication is part of it, right? Compliance is another factor that plays into it. I mean, if you look at the big market drivers for our technology, you know, it typically comes down to, to three things. It's, it's all about security, mostly with data and endpoints. It comes down to compliance. So in, in the healthcare example there, you have things like HIPAA and then you have workforce productivity. So it just happens that in that one use case, you see all three that, that organizations are benefiting from. So rule one more question. So this name RF ideas and it's lowercase RF, all caps ideas. I'm wondering how did that name come about? Because it's pretty unique. Yeah, it's, it's actually interesting, Jim. So we actually went through a rebranding a couple of years ago where if you looked at the spelling of our name, it was actually RFID was all caps and then the rest of it, IAS, was basically lowercase. And that really stemmed from the technology that we supported, which was RFID technology. So now fast forward to a few years ago when we started saying, hey, you know, we're, we're not really, we're, we're kind of pigeon, pigeonholing ourselves into, you know, RFID, but we're much more, we're evolving into much more support, credential support nowadays. And so we made a decision to kind of, change the name branding to go lowercase RF and ideas. And part of that decision was that there's RF technology that we're supporting nowadays. That's much more than just your traditional proximity cards or smart cards. We've evolved into mobile credentials. We've evolved into things like biometrics. And so, you know, with it, it's kind of the RF, which is kind of the base of the technology into more ideas that we're, we're supporting. I love the origin story of company names. I find it fascinating. There are so many, so many interesting ones there. And I love the play on words a little bit that you're doing there, right? <laughs> kind of like RF ideas, like, okay, cool. Kind of the same thing we do with right identity at the center for the podcast. You guys are in a very crowded space. And you know, there's lots of vendors that play in physical security and have different form factors and so forth. Let me ask you a hard question. Maybe it's not so hard. I don't know. Why are you guys different? What sets you apart from your competitors in this space? Yeah, I think there's two things, right? One of them I, I kind of touched on a little bit earlier in that our credential providers are agnostic when it comes to the credentials that we support, right? If you look at a lot of our competitors, they tend to kind of focus in on one or two credentials that kind of dominate a, a particular region or a particular vertical. We tend to be a little bit more horizontal than vertically focused, even though you look at some of the major markets that we are being implemented in, you'll see things like healthcare and, and manufacturing. But I think the agnostic aspect helps us get into more environments out there. When you start to see deployments where there's multiple credentials being deployed, some for you know manufacturing settings, some for the front office, it's it, it kind of gives us a little bit of a competitive advantage in those cases because they can leverage the same base platform or the same reader for a variety of different use cases. So, you know, I'll give a great example here where, you know, we, we've been deployed in a couple of Fortune 500 companies where they started using our credential readers for time and attendance, where they affix our, our readers to a time clock to automate and keep track of who was, you know, clocking in and out. And once they saw the advantages of our technology, they started evolving the use of our credential readers to things like single sign-on, and secure printing and, and a variety of other use cases. So 
it's it's kind of the one benefit that if you have a multi-credential support or there's a need for a multi-credential support in your environment, our readers can can support them all. I feel like there's a lot of different form factors and standards when it comes to identity. And I know that you know there's things like FIDO out there for credentials and authentication, you know, maybe more historically on the logical access side, but now creeping into the physical side as well. I guess one of the things that concerns me sometimes in the space is like, okay, well, I bought this product and now I only have things that work with that product. Is there some sort of interoperability or things like that, that from a support perspective where, you know, there are some common worldwide credentials that, you know, you the organization is supporting or helping to contribute to. What's really cool is that you could see our our readers among so many different variety of of places. You know, you could could walk in, you could see them on a production line on a on a PLC. You can also see them on on HMIs, log, helping secure you know those typical use cases for a, a shared workstation. And again, as Raul mentioned, you know, su- supporting so many different varieties of of badges. This could be used just about anywhere. So Raul, a couple of acronyms got dropped there. HMI, I think it was PLC. Can you kind of tell us what those are? A human machine interface is, it's a user interface that connects a person to a machine or system. So quite often you're going to see these in, in manufacturing facilities. That's where really where you're going to see them in manufacturing facilities. And so with frontline workers there, it, it's a shared workstation where you'll want to see, you know, users that want to authenticate onto these systems because it's a shared workstation. You're typically running, you know, three shifts throughout the day. Uh, and rather than having a shared pin or a password, uh, they're going to tap their reader or they're going to tap their badge onto a credential reader to authenticate. And I think the primary purpose there is for accountability. You know, if something were to go off, you know, they, they know who was on that shift. They know who was on that machine. They make sure that that person is certified to, to use that, to, that those machine systems. Yeah, and similar to a PLC, so PLC is a programmable logic controller. Similar to what Raul said, it, it, it comes down to accountability on those uh, manufacturing lines, um, making sure those who are supposed to be, you know, working those lines are are actually permitted to do so. But yes, all comes down to accountability as well as making sure that, you know, you're not taking the time to log in and out, you know, of something that could bring the lines down. So also productivity. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm picking up on a common thread. So there's these shared workstations, especially in healthcare, right? You have different patient rooms, regardless of who's logging in. It's not like they bring their PCs from room to room, right? There's a a PC sitting there in a lot of cases and they just, they can tap in and out. Manufacturing floor, you've got manufacturing stations where people share the workstation maybe throughout the day. What other industries are, because it seems to me like there's just so many industries where you could run into the shared workstation scenario and, you know, I'm wondering, are there others that you see traction in or some of the most interesting use cases Outside of those two, yeah. So outside of those two, you know, I'll give a couple of other shared workstation uh, examples. Uh, the first one is, you know, going to your earlier question, Jim, about kind of the remote work. You know, you're you're starting to see these WeWork environments, right, where it's shared offices and they have shared workstations in an office environment. So really, enterprise organizations that that have a hybrid environment 
Um, employees come in, they have their little cubicle set up with their workstation. That's a great example there where uh, you got another shared workstation environment. It might even be down to the shared laptop, right? And so a user taps their badge on their credential there and it's their user you know, that, that pops up or populates on the workstation. And then the other common one you'll see is retail, right? So retail associates at the point of sale, very common place where you'll start to see some shared workstations where, again, typically you'll see a lot of Mac Stripe readers or even shared pins that they're, that they're leveraging there. And again, there it's about accountability. You know, big retail stores want to make sure what associates were on those POS lanes and making sure that there's no theft occurring there at the same time. Yeah, but you see one the scenario where you have one of these shared workstation use cases and it's a large percentage of the user population, but you also have the corporate environment where then it's like, hey, let's bridge it back and have this kind of level of productivity for everyone because not only do you have that great shared, shared PC use case, but there's also just a convenience factor of not having to remember a password and rotate a password. And if I can use the same badge to, you know, enter the door, get into my computer, you know, stop and start my time card. I, you know, I think you referenced a use case like that earlier or a situation like that earlier, but I bet that happens more than you would suspect. Absolutely. I mean, work, workforce productivity is is absolutely important with a lot of organizations. They want to make sure their their employees are efficient. So I, I completely agree with you there, Jim. Yeah. So you talked about Improvada and that that healthcare scenario. I'd like to hear more about that. I mean, you know, is it making? I would imagine it's making a lot of productivity impact on top of just the security and like what I was. You know, what impacted me first off was you know, the ability to get in there quickly and, and have it be reliable. But I would think from a productivity standpoint, it's also like a huge impact. But what do you what do you really see out of this improvised use case? Yeah, so they, you know, jointly we conducted a study a while back where Improvada went out there to some of their end users and started to understand, like, what is the real return on investment that a healthcare organization's getting out of this, this joint solution, right? And so what they found was, a lot of these nurses were typing in a password up to 70 times a day, you know, so, and, and they started to do a little bit of a time study around it. And they found that each clinician, so a nurse, as an example, was saving upwards of 45 minutes per shift just by not having to type in their password or do a password reset. So there was, there was time savings there of 45 minutes per person. But then when you factor in the actual password resets that cost uh, their IT team time and money, that was an additional $70 per password reset that they had to do as well. So I think at the end, it looked like uh, with some of the major hospitals, they were saving upwards of a million dollars a year just on, on cutting out password resets. Yeah, there's no doubt that they're saving money. But I also think like from a security standpoint, if you type your password 70 times a day, guess what you're doing? You're picking the easiest password. And then when it comes time to change your password, Definitely. you're just adding an extra exclamation point or a dollar sign or whatever you do to kind of increment it. But, you know, bro, uh, just to kind of key off of one thing that you mentioned, and I don't, you know, you just mentioned it once, but you mentioned something about 
secure printers. So can you expand on that use case a little bit? So secure printing, the use case there is when you look at highly regulated environments like finance, like healthcare, where information that is printed on a multifunctional printer can be, you know, it, it's it's somebody's privacy, right? It's somebody's confidential information. You have regulations like HIPAA and the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, where you can't be leaving confidential information just laying around. And so with secure printing, what that enables an organization to do is, you know, a typical scenario is, you know, I go to my workstation, I go to hit the print button, and then when I walk over to the multifunctional printer, the paper's already already there, right? So I just pick it up and I walk away. But in these in these environments where it's highly regulated, this information just can't be laying on the printer, right? Somebody forgets about it, somebody else comes over, they grab the paperwork, and all of a sudden somebody's social security number is is stolen, right? Somebody's patient information is is taken. And so the way it works with our technology is our readers are embedded into these printers. And so I go to my workstation, I print it, nothing actually prints onto the printer until I actually walk up to the printer. I tap my badge on the reader that's embedded within the printer, and then it actually releases the job, the print job. Yeah. I mean, I've always said like, as IT professionals, one of the things that we need to do is make things more automated, make people more efficient. This sounds it's like is right up that that alley where, uh, and besides the environmental factor, right? Instead of like getting printed and someone just tossing it in the trash can, it never gets printed until actually the receiver is there to tap it and get it. So I love all those factors. I'm kind of getting the sense that you're talking about like there's just OEM embedding use cases, and I'm wondering how does how do you go about integrating your technology into other products? Yeah, so we actually have a portfolio. Wave ID is really the the base of our portfolio. And within there, we have several different form factors. You know, there's desktop readers. We have these, what we call nano readers that are, you know, the, the, the world's basically smallest credential reader on the market today. Uh, but part, part of that portfolio is also our OEM embedded modules that uh, we work with different, you know, print, laptop, you know, medical device manufacturers out there where they want to have secure authentication as part of their overall hardware. And so we'll work with them to make sure that, you know, we conduct the sizing study and embed our technology uh, with them. And then along the ways, get, get the certification that's required like FDA and everything else. So, so yeah, we work with a lot of, a lot of hardware manufacturers that want to implement secure authentication as part of their end product. I would imagine that you're probably working with lots of partners in that space and I guess sort of that, you know, go to market strategy of how do you how do you get your product in the hands of as many people as possible, right? That's that's sort of the goal here. So, I guess is that, you know, that sounds like that's one of the methods. Are there other methods of how, you know, how do you get this thing to become like, oh yeah, this is why aren't we using this everywhere else? Is it are you talking to customers? Are you talking to like partners? Are you talking to, you know, the Octas, the Pings, the Microsofts of the world say, hey, you know, we've got this fantastic product. How can we work together? What are, what are some of the ideas that you've got there? No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeff, it's a great question. I, I think uh, when you look at kind of, you know, we call it the routes to market, there's three different avenues that, that we kind of go to market. The, the first one is kind of your traditional systems integrators uh, or, or value-added resellers that, you know, 
they own the relationship with the customer out there. They're kind of presenting different solutions, understanding what the pain points. And then they come to us and say, hey, this is what my customer's pain points are. Help us find a solution for that customer. And so we, you know, we sell the products through our distribution channel down to our channel partners. And then ultimately they're the ones selling the product to uh, the end user. That's, that's kind of the first route to market. Uh, the second one is through ISVs or independent software vendors. Um, so we work with, you know, a variety of different application software providers. So we mentioned a few like print management software, you know, um, there's time and attendance software. There's things like single sign on, like, like Improvata use case that we talked about. And what we'll do is we'll work with a lot of these ISVs, work on an integration between their software and our hardware, and then ultimately they're going to market with the full solution, a full software and hardware solution. And then the third one is the one that we just touched on uh, a couple minutes ago, which is the OEM route, right? So we work with some of the OEM manufacturers, again, in the in the print space, uh, laptops, uh, medical devices, where they'll take our OEM modules, embed it into their hardware technology, and then they sell it as a full-fledged system or solution to, to the customer. So... We are, our primary go-to-market strategy is to go through the channel. Uh, we don't really sell direct at all, so uh, we, we tend to go through the channel. You know what I, I see the trending so much in the digital identity space is just this move from password, you know, knowledge-based authentication to possession-based authentication. Sorry, I was actually wondering. You know, I saw a brochure that you guys have around your digital wallet technology and it's just like it, it, i was drawn to it it's like a, a mobile app maybe you can tell us a little bit about it yeah so uh it's been highly highly requested years ago we we started in the the bluetooth space recently now folks want to kind of go more of the the nfc route so kind of like an Apple wallet integration. So with the Apple wallet integration, you know, you're offering customers still a tap and go experience. So you have your your credential on your phone embedded inside your Apple wallet, still a tap and go experience, uh, similar to a, a way that you would present a card and also giving the customer uh, an even more secure credential. Yeah, I think what's, what's really cool about it is obviously as an app, there's, no hardware costs, right? You're, you're pushing it down to somebody's pre-existing, you know, the, a device that they probably own themselves. So it, it kind of manages that hurdle. But at the same time, you potentially still have the option for the hardware-based solution. I'm just wondering, like, that seems like a, an industry trend. What are some of the other trends that you're seeing, Raul? Yeah. So, I mean, just to add on a little bit more on the mobile credentials, we look at, you know, 2023 for our organization, you know, three of the four largest deployments that we had in 23 were all mobile credentials, right? I, I think we're starting to see a lot more organizations that want to future proof their environment and kind of start to stray a little bit away from ID, from physical ID badges, which, you know, we, we continue to support and we see a lot of environments where, they still want to have a combination of physical badges for one part of their office and mobile for another part of their for for their office. So, but we are starting to see a, a big shift away from physical to mobile, uh, and in particular, as Sarah mentioned, kind of the 
uh, shift to NFC in particular, the app or the digital wallets. And, and we recently uh, launched a press release about a month ago where we just became Apple certified uh, for, for the Apple wallet. But in terms of other you know trends that we're seeing out there is for those uh, organizations that still want to stay with their physical badge, this big move to secure credentials, right? So proximity is kind of you know, was the first flavor of ID badges that ever existed out there. What we've come to find obviously now, you know, that we've been in this space for a while is that proximity credentials are not the most secure, right? You know, somebody can take it, replicate it, and they can, you know, hack into your your facility, right? From a physical access control perspective. But and the same thing for logical, right? Somebody steals your badge. But now with sick physical, uh, what we're starting to see is, you know, is more a move to secure credentials uh, within their environment. So they want some level of encryption. And then to add another piece to it is you start to see this move to multi-factor authentication where, you know, they're assigning either pass keys or a personal pin or even uh, biometrics to kind of have that second and third layer of security for, for their employees. Yeah. You know, it's got me thinking. So, We've got the shared workstation scenario, let's say the hospital room. Then you've also got folks who are, you know, maybe using laptops, but they're more stationary, but still have this use case that we're talking about. From a hardware perspective, I mean, do, are we looking at the same thing? Are the, those proximity readers basically the same device, whether you're talking about like a corporate workstation or something in the clinical setting? Yeah, I mean, we, we have several different form factors of how, you know, organizations want to deploy our readers. We do have some that are mounted on walls, some of them that are sitting on a desk. But at the end of the day, the beauty of our technology is we do have, you know, readers that support all different technologies in one, right? So as an example, our Wave ID mobile mini is is one of the products in our offering where, you know, in that same device, if they want to support Apple wallet credentials, if they want to support BLE credentials, if they want to support physical credentials, they can do that by standardizing on one product within their whole environment. Yeah. So it seems like you guys are, are really like on this edge of using the, the mobile device. What about biometrics? Because I think biometrics is kind of like the, the trend that's really picking up steam with the face ID technology and things like that. Where does that fit into, you know, your stack of solutions? Yep. So uh, we have a, a product called the the Wave ID Bio. The Wave ID Bio basically incorporates all these great RF technologies that we've been discussing, along with a fingerprint scanner. So when we're talking in a world of even multi-factor authentication, you can scan your ID badge and then also scan your your fingerprint for one way to have a multi-factor authentication. Some of our partners also, I mean, they've they've embedded this product into their product. So making it very, very easy, especially let's say in a healthcare scenario, to have literally right at their fingertips a way of doing multi-factor authentication, biometric and RF. I think this is a really important concept. So can these kind of traditional proximity cards and like a wave ID bio live side by side, you know, all, and it 
because to me, that's exactly always the challenge in IT is marrying legacy technologies. And I'm not calling the, you know, it's still much better than the password, right? But like <laughs> now the this more cutting edge stuff and having them live side by side, I think that's the, the real ticket. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a all-in-one product, so um, still leveraging, you know, whether you have an HID Prox badge or you know any any of the 100 badges that we that we support, you can you can still use those along with the the biometric reader. Mm-hmm. Back in my day, I used to manage physical security, which meant ID badges and readers and things like that. And I think one of the things that I was when I was reading up on your company, one of the features out there is reader remote management, which sounds very interesting to me because. That is not something that I had before. <laughs> so that meant I had to go out to specific readers, make sure they were you know, connected to the networks, download cardholder data, right, all that stuff. For those who are, aren't familiar with reader remote management, um, tell us a bit about what that is and why that is so important for people who haven't experienced that joy yet. Yeah, so one of the overwhelming demands we've started to get from not only our partners but end users is these readers are great right? They work seamlessly with the different credential types that are out there and what they have deployed in their environment. But what they wanted to, you know, what they've really been asking RFID is for is a way to manage their devices in the field. So anytime there's a requirement for a firmware update, whether that's to, you know, fix bugs, whether that's to update feature enhancements on our devices, you know, historically, it was a little bit of a pain to update our readers with that firmware, right? They had to go to every individual reader and tap a configuration card or connect it to their PC and use some of our software tools to be able to do that. Well, this concept of, you know, device management has been, you know, out there for a long time, especially in mobile devices. And so we kind of replicated that same concept to say, hey, we're going to build this tool that enables organizations that can, you know, update all their fleet of readers on their network all at once right and just like with mobile devices they they do it probably after hours and it team will just push out an update and let all their readers get updated overnight right to to be able to do that seamlessly versus having to go one by one and waste it resources time and money so it's just a much much more efficient way for organizations to update their readers or reconfigure their readers you know very often we're seeing organizations that are shifting from one credential to another, you know, that could be a physical credential to a mobile credential. And this is a way to reconfigure those devices to now say, hey, we're now reading this new mobile credential and let's update all the readers to be able to read that new updated mobile credential. I would imagine that helps too with making sure that things stay current for threats and attacks, right? There's always something that's needs to be patched or updated. I guess from a security perspective, it helps with that as well, right? Being able to deploy a patch or a firmware update or whatever it may be, right? To stay on top of things. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, any, any bugs we found, any security, you know, risk that we found, it's the great thing is we have a, a great customer and partner base out there that, that brings these things to our attention. And, you know, we're, we run as a very nimble organization. Our engineering team is jumps right on these, the, these bugs and, and whatever we, we find a, a patch for it. We, we redeploy the the new firmware and then we get it out to our partners and customers. And, you know, mo- more times than not, we can fix these things in, in less than 24 hours. So we've been talking about passwordless uh, kind of throughout here as kind of a common thread. It seems like it's weaving its way around, which is great. I don't know anybody who likes passwords. 
<laughs> I was browsing the site and I came across this Converge ID password plat passwordless platform. And it talks about basically converting over to FIDO2 security credentials, which is fantastic. And we certainly have, you know, talked with FIDO people in the past. This is one of those first steps to removing passwords. But can you talk a little bit about the Converge ID platform, the passwordless platform, and how that differs maybe from something like Wave ID, which you've mentioned as well, because I know we're going to talk about that here in a second, too. I want to ask you about that. Sure. So the Converge ID is our solution for users to have a passwordless experience. Um, what's really cool about this solution and what sets us apart from other FIDO2 software solutions is that we can take the user's current badge that they use to get into the door or whatever they're using it for. So it can be a, a standard prox badge. And basically what the solution does is it turns it into a, a FIDO badge. So no added cost to the customer consumer and then offering that the extra layer of security. That's pretty amazing. I think you take so you take your existing badge. You don't have to rebadge your population, which is exactly. a pain in the butt. <laughs> yes, and expensive. Um, and expensive, yeah, and logistically a nightmare. And yeah, I've I've been through that. I don't wish it on anybody. Sometimes <laughs> you have to do it for no, you know, for for reasons. But so I can take my existing ID badge, convert it into a passwordless credential, and then combine that with a Wave ID reader. Is that how that would work to do that? Yeah, that's it. That's exactly how it would work. So it's basically taking, you know, the option to to log in using a security key, but instead of actually having to have that that FIDO key, using your your prox badges of the FIDO key, um, and then in turn you can turn that into multi-factor by adding a pin on the other side of that. So, so tell me about the Wave ID platform then. How is that different from the Converge ID passwordless platform? You've got Wave ID platform. To help me understand sort of the positioning of of Wave ID and how that interacts. Yeah, so so Converge ID, if you look at it that way, Converge ID is the software side of our portfolio. Wave ID is the name that we give to our hardware platform. So, you know, we have several products out there, like the Wave ID uh, Plus Mini. We have the Wave ID Mobile Mini, the Wave ID Nano, the Wave ID SP Plus, and the OEM embedded products. These are all part of our wave id hardware platform so these are the actual physical credential readers that get uh deployed out there in different environments so if you look at the two converge id is our software wave id is our hardware platform gotcha so the combination of the both is really is really the differentiator saying we've got both the hardware and the software side we're able to do this conversion we've got password lists everybody's happy <laughs> and Everybody, you know, the, the, the solution kind of works together. And then you've got the OEM side of things where you're integrating directly with other hardware vendors, right, that might be out there as well to integrate that same technology. So now you've got this cross-platform compatibility, which sounds pretty, sounds almost too good to be true. I'll be honest with you, Raul. <laughs> There's got to be a catch here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think the catch there, Jeff, is that we still need partners to deploy this stuff, right? I mean, we don't, we don't do it all, right? We, we're still very, very, very... Uh, reliant on our channel partners out there, whether that's the application software through our ISVs, whether that's through the systems integrators who provide their service and implementation and deployment services. So, so while it sounds uh, too good to be true there with with the hardware and the software that that we're kind of bringing to market, you know, I, I do want to kind of reemphasize that you know we don't go to rack. We we are very reliant and we value our channel partners out there. My initial impression when I looked at the RFID's website was, man, you could really make a business out of this. I think what I've, 
come to listening to more about the solutions today is like, whoa, I see a huge value add here. But I also see this as like a great model for your partners. Yeah, no, it, it's a great, you know, if we look at our our channel model, it's it's very, very traditional to what you see with with other hardware manufacturers that sell through a channel, right? And so the beauty and, and the advantage or the benefit for our partners is that, you know, they can wrap around their services. They're the ones that own the relationship with the end user customers. And so, you know, we just partner together behind the scenes to make sure that we're providing the best solution for our partners. But at the end of the day, they own the relationship with the customers. They're they're making their their profitability, they're putting their margin uh, markup on it, uh, and they can still be very highly profitable. You know, a lot of our, our partners feel like, you know, the margins they make with our products are, are you know, superior to to others out there in the marketplace. And so it's, it's kind of a win-win for all of us. Yeah. I mean, the um, software by itself isn't going to do anything without the hardware, so you need the hardware. What is it? I mean, if is there a typical implementation? What does a, you know, what does an implementation of your product look like? Is it really that you're rolling out the software and the hardware just is alongside of that? How, or do folks say already have like a software like an Improvata environment and then they're upgrading to a better hardware solution being RFID is. Yeah, so it really depends on on who the software partner is that you are working with. A partner like Improvata, they've already leveraged our software developers kit, all of our APIs within their software. So a lot of times our our hardware is plug and play in those situations. Um, with with other software solutions, you know, it, it would depend on you know the size of the location, what the focus is for that vertical, the architecture that you're deploying the reader into. So there are some variables involved. But we were lucky enough to have really, really great partners that we work with that have a really great understanding of our product as well. Yeah, that's really cool. Now, if somebody already has badging system that they use, can they take those existing badges and leverage your hardware or do they need to reinvest in new badges? No, the 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 badges that they have because RF ideas we we read you know at least a hundred different card types at this point and all of the the industry leading card types out there we can basically read all card types on the market that are low or high frequency. Yeah, that's that's I the beauty it. of it. I mean, I think as we kind of you know I think Jeff started the podcast here today is that you know we're we're merging these two you know markets together right the physical and the logical together. And, and the beauty of our technology is that organizations, you know, can leverage the existing badge or the existing mobile credential that they're already using for physical access, for logical access. Now, that user might need to have a different software, right? Whether that's single sign-on or time in attendance for those logical access solutions. But, but again, it's it's the beauty of our technology that our readers can already leverage the existing credentials and and implement it for for anything beyond the door. I love the idea of this because I think it's an area that is underexplored and under leveraged in a lot of identity programs today is a lot of folks draw the line at, oh, well, we handle logical access. Well, why not parts of the physical as well? What if you could use some of those things that we're already carrying around to do MFA? You know, here a lot of times like, okay, well, you know, can't use a phone or can't use these other sort of form factors, but they have an ID badge. 
guess what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you've got, you know, potential for MFA between that and, you know, other components of the, of the EMFA factors. So I love the idea of this and I love, especially of the fact that I don't have to rebadge all of my employees, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> I want to end the conversation on a lighter note. And, you know, we've had uh, kind of a, a, a neck deep conversation. I feel like getting really kind of deep into um, RF ideas. <laughs> Again, no pun intended. Um, readers, uh, NFC, uh, HMI, a whole bunch of other stuff. I want to talk sports and Olympics specifically. So we're going to wrap up today's show by talking about if you could compete in any Olympic sport, summer or winter, doesn't matter, just Olympics, which one would it be and why? Sarah, I'm going to start with you because I know you're itching to answer this question. I am. Uh, Okay. I'm a huge sports fan. I'm not typically a fan of winter. It's funny because I live near Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think I would have to go with bobsledding. I don't know if it's from the Cool Runnings movie or... I say the Jamaican um, bobsledding. (laughs) (laughs) Or I I think it would just be the biggest adrenaline rush. And I'm all for that. So I would have to go with bobsledding. And I've never done anything like that before. Okay, so that was my next question. Is like, okay, so this is not based on any experience other than just watching a movie and seeing yes. like, oh, that looks cool. <laughs> now, would yes, it be exactly. like solo or would it be like a bobsled team? No, I feel like I would have to be with a team so that people could calm my nerves while it's all happening. <laughs> Instead of just yelling your your entire face yeah. off the whole way down. Yeah, I'd probably be that person. Pretty uh, much. Ro- Raul, how about yourself? If you could compete in any Olympic sport, which one would it be and why? Yeah, so I mean, maybe I'll start Jeff with a little uh, interesting fact about me. I was uh, I was actually pretty close when I was seventeen to uh, participating in the Olympics. So I was invited to try out for uh, the Team USA Junior Olympics for hockey. Uh, Unfortunately, I got cut on the last cut, and so wasn't able to participate. So I wasn't quite quite up to par to, to make the team. But but I think it's a no brainer for me. I mean, I've been playing hockey since. The age of six, I, I now still am very, very uh, involved in youth hockey here. My daughter, Alexandra, plays hockey. Um, and so for me, I, I would have loved to have had a chance to participate at a, at a Winter Olympic hockey game in my time. Another miracle on ice, uh, per chance. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, if you could compete in the Olympics, which sport? Well, I guess the obvious answer for me would be baseball because, like Raul said, that was my sport growing up. But I can tell you, definitely not good enough to represent this country in baseball. <laughs> but a sport that I've always thought that I would be good at was curling because I know how to use a broom. <laughs> I think I can <laughs> get on one knee and slide on the ice. And I think this kind of sport, like the practices, would be fun. Bring your own six pack. And you yes. would just practice for a few hours. Yeah. Or practice just or just drink marks. and have the six pack. <laughs> at, at least, right? You'd be on like the backup <laughs> to the backup. What about you, Jeff? You know, this is a tough one because there's a few different sports. I kind of rep to my Rolodex in my head here. I don't know if Taekwondo is officially a sport yet or not. Uh, but that was something I did when I was younger. But I'm actually most excited for the flag football coming to the Olympics in the near future. I love the NFL. That's my jam. And I think uh, having played that a very long time ago, a much faster, slimmer, younger Jeff uh, was pretty decent at at football. So um, I would be 
on the flag football team, sort of a Christian McCaffrey type, kind of a scat back slot receiver, and also the kicker, because yeah, that's just what kick. I did. <laughs> so I that's the you sport might that pick I would basketball, like, even though you're not really the height for basketball. That was your no, but I was good sport. at basketball too when I was younger. So um, I was out. I was actually probably much better at basketball than I was at football. When I think about it, that was probably a better pick. But I just like football, so I'll stick with that. Final answer. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to kind of demystify this a little bit. This is an area that we really haven't talked too much about in the past uh, on this podcast. Is that blending of the physical and the logical worlds? I think there should be more of this, and I, I really hope people take a look at some of the solutions you guys have out there. You know, go out, visit the website rfideas.com. We'll have some links in our show notes for people to check out things. But I love this idea of taking things that we're that people are already familiar about. You do not have to train people how to use an ID badge; they already know. <laughs> so why not leverage a solution like that for multi-factor authentication or, or heck, even going to passwordless, right? Things like that. And chances are, you probably already have a mix of the technologies you might already need, but I would certainly encourage people go out, check out the website, connect with Raul or Sarah on LinkedIn. We'll have their LinkedIn profiles in our show notes. Raul, I want to turn it over to you for kind of final thoughts. For people who listen to this episode, what's the one thing that they should take away from this conversation? Yeah, I, I think the one takeaway here is, and, and Jeff kind of already touched on it, is if you're if you're an organization that is looking to kind of leverage the physical access credentials for logical access. So you want to secure your endpoints, you want to secure your networks, you want to secure your data, you know, we're the solution for that, right? If you have a need for better productivity, for better security, for regulatory compliance, we're the good fit for that. So, you know, come visit us, you know, talk to Sarah and I, and, and we're happy to help uh, provide a consultation there. Yeah. So visit the website, rfideas.com. Again, links will be in our show notes for people to check out. We're on the web, idacpodcast.com, at Twitter, idacpodcast. If you got questions that you wish you th- that we had asked, send them our way. And we'll, if you don't reach out to Raul and Sarah directly, we're happy to do it and maybe follow up in a, in a future episode. So with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this episode. Appreciate everyone for listening. And we'll talk with everyone in the next one. You've been listening to Identity at the Center. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review, and we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at identityatthecenter.com and find us on Twitter at IDAC Podcast. See you next time on Identity at the Center.